Building the fashion businesses of the future together. Welcome to the future of fashion business. The future of fashion business is about helping aspiring fashion entrepreneurs and designers start their own successful fashion brands by learning from the best, most experienced people in the industry. I am your host, Esteban Julian. For more advice and to learn more about how I started my own fashion brand, make sure you follow my fashion journey on YouTube at Esteban Julian. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Future of Fashion Business. I am your host, Esteban Julian. And on this week's episode, I sat down with probably my youngest guest ever. And uh, trust me, this is going to be a, a, a cool episode for you guys, especially because I know a lot of people, uh, little, a lot of people listening to this episode are quite young. Uh, some of them are a little bit, you know, upper tier executives and stuff like that. But mostly are people that just want, either want to start their own fashion brands or creative careers or fashion careers or, or something like that. And that's why I thought that this uh, week's episode was going to be a great, great, great lesson. Listen, because this week's episode, I sat, I sat down with uh, Keith Heron, and Keith Heron started his his fashion brand when he was thirteen. He's twenty one now. And I mean, just to listen to Keith's sort of story on how everything developed, how he started at such a young age, what went through everything, what went, how was this whole process like, what were the factors that actually provided him or allowed him to be a successful fashion brand and to come out from the first stages, which is, you know, most people start fashion brands that can't, can't even start selling. How Keith was able to manage all of those things at such a young age. And at the same time, how he keeps dealing with all of those sort of either pressures or problems that come along with growing a fashion brand successfully. And most episodes that I've found, uh, because there's usually talking with highly experienced people that have a lot to offer when it comes to information, I think that especially you guys will find this episode a lot more relatable. Uh, instead of and people like myself, which are a little bit older, will find it a lot more motivating to see and understand how somebody so young can can develop their career in such a way, and somebody that's young to see how somebody who is their age is maybe not that different from them was able to create a fashion brand that is successful and that at the end of the day thrives long term. You know, because it's it's not an easy thing to find. So really, really excited for this episode. Again, do expect a, a very story focused episode on Keith and how everything started for him and the events that allowed him to actually become a success in the fashion industry. And hopefully you guys enjoy as much as I had. Uh, boom, damn. <laughs> hopefully you guys enjoy ha- uh, listening to this conversation as much as I had. I enjoyed having it. I'll see you guys in the episode. And I don't know if I told you this beforehand. I don't think I did, but I think you're officially the youngest and I think you will be the youngest guest that I have for a while. <laughs> but I'm very excited about that. I'm really excited to see if there's something that that makes you uh, that makes you a bit, a bit different from the rest. But that said, Keith, I'm very happy to have you here. Uh, very happy you uh, took the time to be here with us today. I'm very excited with, uh, about the conversation that we're going to have. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Well, just to start off, and obviously feel free to dive into the next question or the next story as much as you can. Trust me, I really want to know how your story has developed, where it all started. And man, I'm assuming I'm going to have so many questions around that. But can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, Keith Heron? How did, who are you? How did, who is Keith Heron to begin with? Um, I'm a fashion designer, film director. Um, the creative director of advisory 
Um, Advisory is a brand I founded when I was 13. And yeah, now now we're doing films, fashion, music, the whole thing. Yeah, so you branched out into a lot of different things. But man, 13. Like how does it yeah. <laughs> how did that how did I even start? Because when I was 13, I was like the only things that I was like thinking about was playing RuneScape or playing video games. Uh-huh. And just, I don't know, being able to get the courage to talk to the girl that I like. Like, how, what were you doing at 13 mm-hmm. that this came to your, like, this was actually I mean, a possibility for you? I think I was doing the same things. It's, <laughs> it's more so, um, I really wanted some Supreme. Like, um, right. I, I was, like, into collecting Supreme and OG BB ice, BBC ice cream and Bathing Ape. And I asked my mom one day if she could buy me this like Supreme sweater, I think it was. And she sarcastically was like, you should just invest in yourself rather than putting money in other people's pockets. And I don't know if she like meant that seriously or whatever, but literally right after that, I went to the kitchen and like started drafting my first designs for advisory. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause a lot of people, their first brand ideas, like, they never stick with it, but I don't know. Advisory is just like something I've been doing since jump and stuck with it. Yeah. I mean, well, what other 13 year olds do you know that started something and just stick to it for how long now? Six years? Has it Six been? Six years. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. what was it? Did, it? did it all start as a fashion brand then? That was, that was the first thing that came to mind. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely more streetwear inspired when it first right. began. I, I would say like the step towards fashion kind of was a natural evolution, but um, it didn't really become an intention until like 2019, late 2019. Mm-hmm. But um, it began, I was just designing stickers and t-shirts, crew neck sweaters and uh, hoodies. And how did it work? Did you literally just t- teach yourself uh, Photoshop? via youtube and just started designing stuff or how did you build those skills up um literally since i was a little kid i used to just be obsessed with playing with computers i mean obviously everyone did this i was doing like microsoft paint i would make graphic design on there it was like one of my favorite hobbies i think when i was around like five or six my dad taught me how to use powerpoint Mm -hmm. and i started like making books and like newspapers and stuff that i would give to my family and um that's actually how i started designing is on powerpoint which is so weird like all my earliest designs i made on microsoft powerpoint <laughs> do you have any of those by any chance so that people can check them out <laughs> um, or no, are, they, are you too anyone. embarrassed to show it up <laughs> i don't want anyone to check that out <laughs> that's the thing right like once you start becoming somebody uh you're pretty you, you, you're very afraid to start showing where you where you started uh, because yeah. everybody, because everybody fucking sucks starting out. Dude. Like it yeah, doesn't yeah. matter how talented you are. First things is, mm-hmm. is exactly what you did. You use some, some sketch or some, in your case, PowerPoint design. But I think, I think that's dope. And did you, did you focus on having this uh, as, a, as a career from the get-go? I'm assuming not. Like how did, how was the whole no. process? Was it a hobby at first? Uh, how um, did it, how the, how did the whole transition happen? It was, it was definitely a hobby. Um, like my parents come from like educational backgrounds. So Mm. they were trying to push like a corporate agenda on me, you know, as most parents of like high school students are. Um, But yeah, it didn't really become something that I wanted to be a career until I want to say my senior year of high school, when I started to get like orders from people, like 
I've been doing this for years and it took me at least three or four years to start actually getting customers that wow. wanted the clothes. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, from there, that's when I was starting to take it a bit more seriously. Um, but yeah, really it was like when I left for college, that's when I um, realized that like, I don't even want to go to school. Like I, that's the reason why I didn't even major in fashion is because like that's I never point. wanted it to be a career, but yeah. Right. That's very interesting. And during, natural. and during those three years that it took, because I'm guessing it was three years from the point that you started designing stuff in PowerPoint, right? That you started yeah. actually selling something. Okay. So yeah. what happened in those three years? Was it just you making your craft better or you didn't really promote it? What, what, what was the thing that sort of was stopping <laughs> you from actually generating sales or generating customers well when i first started um i was i bought a heat press with like 150 dollars and started doing t-shirts just like Graphic in my in my home and i was selling them to people at my middle school and eventually people would like wash the t-shirts and be like yo the print's coming off like i started getting ridiculed for that by literally like my best friends and um i was like all right i have to pivot i can't do this anymore so i stopped selling to my friends i like cut everyone off i blocked everyone from my instagram all of this stuff and i started to like sort of just post my work online right. and like that lasted for a couple years with like no difference at all i was just like posting stuff whatever and as i was continuing my brand trajectory like i want to say 2015 was my season one collection mm -hmm. but before that i had a season zero collection and those were like my first cut and sewn pieces, I was still making them yeah. with the heat press. And then season one is when I got like my first manufactured pieces. And like at the time, I want to say that was 2015. And like brands at that time, like at least like the self-funded, smaller, made by young people brands, none of those brands were doing things like embroidery or cut and sewn t-shirts. And mm -hmm. literally like a hat like this with an embroidered logo was so like unheard of for a brand like that to do. So those were the type of products I was working on. And I, my first cut and sew piece was a t-shirt. It was like a striped t-shirt. Mm -hmm. And from there, I just started adding more and more cut and sewn pieces into each collection. I think the next ones I was doing long sleeve polos with embroidery. Um, and yeah, eventually by like season three, my collection was almost entirely cut and sew rather than focused on graphic print t-shirts and graphic print hoodies mm -hmm. and season four that's when i did um the knitwear piece the um sunflower cardigan and that's the piece that really caught the attention of like people that gave me fan bases it was worn by steve lacy tyler creator mm -hmm. and goli guy leo so yeah that's really wow. like what put me to that level Right. So the, the, like the consistent development of the, the, the product. Yeah. And finding yeah. ways for it to be like differentiating against what everybody was doing at the time. Yeah. I mean, well, really it came from a place of just wanting to do it. Like I always tell people the way I did it was by working backwards. Like I had the idea to do it. And rather than knowing my limitations, I was more so just working from that idea, like knowing that I was going to do that idea. Right. So it's sort of like reverse engineering it. Definitely. Cause these were not options. Like, like I said, these were not options at the time, but mm -hmm. yeah. 
Awesome. And, and uh, did, did, how did you focus, like was, was focusing on cotton. So a, a conscious sort of decision based on what you noticed wasn't happening or was it just like a natural uh, transition or part of your product development? Definitely natural. It was from jump. It was always what I wanted to do. It was more so like the limitation thing. And I knew it was, it was like a little by little thing. Like I couldn't just come out the gate with like a full cut and sew collection. Right. I had to like work my way up to that just because of how much it actually cost and you know, just the limitations. Yeah. Yeah, All of that. Awesome. And what was, how did, how did those, because I'm guessing based on what you're saying, their transition was, you started by doing um, PowerPoint designs, you started developing mm. your skills, you sort of focused or you found your niche or what made your product different based on what you enjoyed, which was something more cotton. So you continued developing mm. those, those products and then you started making like actual sales once somebody started wearing your brand, like like authorities or yeah. influencers. Okay, so that's how yeah, it sort of went, sure. right? Yeah, I had like a small fan base before that. Like right. people definitely were fond of the stuff I was making around that time, but it wasn't until um, people wore it that I actually started to like sell out a piece. I never sold out any pieces. My units were trash. Like I was pretty much like selling. selling <laughs> your your house was full of inventory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was bad. A lot of stuff that I put in collections never even got to be made because like no one bought it. Yeah. But um, yeah. And that small following came from your just posting on social media consistently, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And one, how did how did those uh, influencers or celebrities or, or whoever wore those 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 products the first time? How did they come about your product? Do you know? Um, a lot of a lot of just right place, right time. Sometimes mm. just like getting a direct message. Um, I know the Steve Lacey one happened because I like somehow finessed like a press pass mm-hmm. for this um, music festival in Sacramento. And I had just gotten, I just did this hype beast photo editorial called feet where I take photos of like the people who are performing and their shoes that they were wearing alongside it. Uh-huh. And um, I leveraged that opportunity to get a press pass for another music festival. And I saw Steve coming out and I just gave him a cardigan. And then like two hours later, he comes out his trailer wearing it. And he's like, I'm about to wear this on stage tonight. So that was like definitely the That's coolest awesome. story out of all of them. Wow. <laughs> yeah. how, did, how did that make you feel? Oh, it was, it was crazy. I was kind of in shock like the whole time. It was wild because it was also in my hometown. And that was just a wild day. No, and it, and, it, and it just validated everything, right? Because, I mean, you say right place at the right time, which, of course, yeah, it happens like that. But you were at it for, mm. what, five years at this point? Four years? Yeah. yeah. With, like, practically no revenue, practically no sales. So, I mean, it was mm-hmm. right place at the right time. But eventually, if you keep at it, those things just happen to you, you know? Yeah, pretty much. Like, I was, I was definitely, like, a full-time clothing reseller. At that point, I was just buying and selling BBC Supreme and vape, and taking photos. Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't get paid for that, but <laughs> yeah, you just, did, you just did it for photos. for fun or for networking or for both. Well, the way that opportunity came about was actually just through like chance. I pretty much got um, production passes for Camp Flognaw just because mm-hmm. 
um, my film mentor, Matthew Cassianos was, um, he's like one of the head people at golf media at the time. Mm -hmm. And he just like, he just asked me maybe the day before the festival, if I wanted to shoot videos around the carnival, of just like people having fun. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that I had like access to every area with the passes I got. And I was just backstage chilling with this dude and he was taking photos and I was like, oh, I have a camera. I should take photos too. And then as that day went on, um, I, I think Steve Lacey actually, it was just so crazy. Everything's always so full circle, but Steve Lacey was wearing these like Gucci glitter shoes. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna take photos of his shoes too. And then boom, I was like, that's the photo series I'm gonna do. And then yeah, from there, that's what it was. I was just doing that for the rest of the next two days. It's funny how everything just sort of clicks in hindsight, right? But whenever you whenever you're going through that process, you think you're just rolling with it and taking every opportunity as it goes. But when you look at it backwards, yeah. you sort of you, you connect the dots quite easily. And 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 I think looking at it that way is very productive uh, because a lot of people, mm. most of my audience is either people starting out, uh, either wanting to start out their own fashion brands or wanting to develop a career in the fashion industry. And it all, you always say, hear the same stories. You know, I worked hard, I developed a cool product and eventually something happened that just made everything either blow up or it was an event that sort of determined, determined that my work wasn't going to go to the next level. Right. And mm -hmm. there are always variables that are the same. You know, you say like, yeah, I found this guy at the, at the right place, right time. But at the end of the day, your product was right. You found your niche and then this guy that you approached happened to be somebody that was part of that existing niche. You just didn't know he was, you know, maybe he didn't Most follow definitely. your stuff, but he was somebody that was looking for something that you were doing that nobody else was doing. And you, you allow them the opportunity to get to know you. And then something that's, that's eventually what happened. And I'm guessing after that, did the others, who was this? Who was the next guy? Or what was was there another event that sort of kicked it all off? Or was this the thing that just kicked it all off and everything else was just momentum? Hmm. I would say everything else was just momentum, honestly. I, I'm, yeah. I mean, yeah. As far as the trajectory of the brand, mm -hmm. um, not audience wise, um, what really helped me to make the shift to high fashion slash designer clothing was obviously the natural evolution of realizing that my expertise is in like garment design rather than graphic design. But, um, I, I feel like the moment I noticed that I got approached by Gucci to do this internship, this was last summer. Mm -hmm. And, um, really through that, that's what gave me the confidence and the idea to do a runway show at all. And that's kind of like, how I got to the New York fashion week point was through Gucci. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. And what would you say was the biggest problem or the biggest struggle or the biggest challenge that you had before this point, like before this stage at the very, very beginning? Um, I would say marketing, honestly, mm -hmm. I, I always felt like my product was good enough to where like, if someone saw it, they would like it enough. But, um, Wow. I never really, I never, I'm really bad at putting myself out there, I would say. And mm -hmm. I don't have people for that. So yeah, I would say that was like the biggest challenge. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, eventually your product was so good that it just did it itself. You know, it did it by itself, which is, you know what, usually it's, it's, I've, I've found it to be a lot more productive 
them fo- knowing about marketing is being good with your product. Because if you're yeah. if you're good with marketing, you can be good with marketing. But if your product is trash, long term, that's not a good strategy. But if your product is good and your marketing isn't, doesn't really matter because your product will eventually speak for itself. You know, it's just a matter of time. Mm. And I'm, I'm guessing that's sort of what happened uh, with with what you were doing. But I, I found I find it to be honest so admirable that and not and I don't, don't I'm not throwing that word lightly that at 13, 14, 15, you already had that mindset of, or that confidence behind what you were doing. Like I, I, that, that is so rare. Uh, and I don't know if you, if, if you've come to think about something like that, that people, artists are very insecure about their work usually, you know, because their mm-hmm. standards are so high that they are never able to meet them. But for you at 14, to have that confidence in what you were doing was was there and i know this was a completely unconscious process but have you thought about why that was like why you had such a solid belief in in your work and what you were doing at such a young age um honestly i i come from like a family of business people like my dad had a company and my Mm -hmm. mom had a company um so really just growing up i would always start all these different companies like advisory was not my first company that I had. Uh, so I would say that's probably the reason why I had any confidence at all to do it is because it wasn't like my first rodeo. Your first time. But, um, yeah, so that's, your, that's your probably, first yeah. rodeo wasn't like eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Come on, sure. dude, at eight I, years old, I was barely <laughs> learning how to speak English. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's so cool. I used to like go around the neighborhood, like selling to like, uh, just different houses around the neighborhood, candy bars, books, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But my my first actual company was socks. I was selling socks. It was called the Socks Box. Mm -hmm. That's (laughs) a good name. It's a good name right there. Very goofy. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And, and, and what, when, when, uh, when things started kicking off, I'm guessing the second challenge was inventory, right? Keeping up with the demand or, or what was it? Oh yeah, definitely keeping up with the demand. Uh, it was it was a lot to handle because mm-hmm. I came from not selling anything at all. So like, even selling something like thirty units was difficult for me mm-hmm. just to transition. And all my collections have always been, you know, multiple pieces, just because I like the idea of a collection rather than just an dropping individual. a product. Yeah, an individual. So product. yeah, when it started selling, that was definitely a challenge because I I believe I had about. 18 to 20 pieces in that collection mm-hmm. and it was like 50 wow. units each it was wow. it was difficult yeah wow that's a lot and how did how do you handle it like it was what was the biggest Very lesson poorly. that you learned along that uh-huh. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm guessing it was um, just chaotic but what was the biggest like sort of thing that you'd say this is what eventually i did that eventually got me out of that position yeah uh i did a lot of made to order at that mm-hmm. time because of the demand and um biggest thing i learned probably is to not do made to order uh, it's more accepted now but this was during a time when like a lot of people did not have knowledge about small businesses like and the fact that they're small teams so people didn't have the patience that they do yeah, today challenges of course so um around that time people were just getting really frustrated if their order didn't deliver and like three days or so or like five days and the issue is it was made to order so sometimes people would have to wait months for this stuff to deliver and it was just a whole mess i was getting like a lot of disputes and 
then there's issues on the back end side if like a manufacturer doesn't want to pull through mm -hmm. to make these clothes and you have to like find new manufacturers i think the season four collection i made like same pieces but with maybe three different manufacturers just going through the process because some wouldn't work i got scammed on like a whole bulk order for that collection like wow it, it was so much to learn from how big was that order it was a mess it was it was at least like maybe six or eight of the pieces wow. so that was a big delay in the shipping and it, it caused a lot of issues and how many people were working with you at that time or was it only just one man show uh just one man show still just one man show wow <laughs> yeah wow and, and and how did you i mean jesus didn't you think about hiring an assistant or something to help you along those times? Because I mean, the thing, the thing about when, <laughs> when things blow up like that, everything is going to go yeah. to hell, everything, but at mm. least you have revenue or cash to, you know, invest into assistants or mm. people that can help you out during the Tafa period. Uh, I mean, at that time, like I'm, I'm kind of just now starting to learn how to work with people. Cause at that mm. time I wouldn't outsource anything. Yeah. You didn't I was trust literally, anybody my model, my photographer, my designer, my customer service, my shipping team, I was doing everything. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I still pretty much do everything. But I, I felt like, especially around that time, I probably would have had like severe imposter syndrome if I was in high school hiring assistants. Like, mm -hmm. also the fact that I was in high school, I probably wouldn't have been able to find anyone that I would feel would be dedicated enough to take on a job like that. Of course. And how did you handle both going through that and going to high school? Um, it was, it wasn't that difficult. It was, it was easy to focus. I felt like, All right. Um, yeah. But what about time? What about, uh, communicating with your manufacturers? <laughs> I mean, well, the good part was all my many, most of my manufacturers besides screen printing were all overseas. So uh -huh. I would be able to only contact them like after 5 PM which was a good thing. Um, as far as like time management with classes, I just, I was around the right people. I had like great study groups. We would meet regularly. So yeah, it, it wasn't that difficult. And at, at, at towards the end of high school, my teachers started to kind of understand what was going on. So they also cut me some slack in that way. Wow. So you, you didn't fail high school going through that. Oh, no, no. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I could, I couldn't even pass high school without having any of that thing going on in my life, dude. I can only imagine mm. what you have to go through. Wow. And, and from that point, from, you know, having all of those, uh, the, the first sort of scale problems to now, what would you say has been the biggest sort of transition? Um, have you simplified biggest. your collections? Have you just focused on creating more? What would you say has been the yeah. biggest change? Pricing, uh, I don't know. All of these things have changed. I but as I continue to do each collection, I just try my best to grow and scale. So mm -hmm. it never gets easier, really. Like the last collection, I believe, was fifty-seven pieces, and the next one I'm doing is around seventy-six pieces. Mm -hmm. Obviously, each collection the prices get like higher, a bit more steep. Um, of course, I'm waiting till I can make the jump to just go into like luxury yeah mm -hmm. I, it, it's it's different because my audience is doesn't come from that background so mm -hmm. 
I don't want to alienate that audience, but I also want to be able to work with better materials and of course have bigger margins to create a better product. Of course, what price range yeah. are you working on right now? Like a sort of supreme ish price range or a little bit less? That's what it's at right now is, a, mm-hmm. is around supreme ish. Some, some pieces less. I want to say the most expensive piece in the latest collection was $250. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, right now I'm I'm working on a coat that's the most money I've ever spent on any piece of clothing, whether that be my brand or any other brand. Mm-hmm. So it, it's going to get really difficult to navigate moving forward. Yeah, I, and and I think that's what I love. What I was so excited to talk to you because I knew that you were gonna you were still going to be in the middle of all of this process because. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it just never gets easy. You know, whatever, when, whenever you start growing more, there's going to be different challenges, uh, different situation, maybe with a little bit more money in the bank, but different fires that you have to deal with, you know, and, and people have this sort of misconception that, Hey, well, I want to start something just because I enjoy, I don't know. It sounds sounds fancy to be in fashion or whatever, but the reality is that is that the reality is what you're going through, you know, even with all the, 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 magazines and the brand and the people wearing your stuff that's the reality of it you know mm-hmm. definitely and when it comes to your learning process how's how do you have you developed something to continuously learn new things or is it just this is a mistake right now like this is um this is hurting at this particular time let me look it up and see what i can do about this or do you have some sort of mentor or somebody you reach out to, for example, on knowing where, when to increase your prices? How do you develop all of that? Mm. Where do you get all that information from? Really, most of the information, like I, I would say I have like a base of information just from reading mm-hmm. books about fashion. But other than the reading part, I, I never really had real mentors until this year when I did the Gucci internship and now and like a part of the Gucci family. So mm-hmm. Anton Phillips, he's probably my biggest mentor right now. I just reach out to him if I have any questions or concerns, always gets back to me. Um, yeah, other than that, it's more so just reading books, problem solving on the go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we try to take it like one step at a time with each thing. Mm-hmm. We're working backwards as always. <laughs> of course, no, and, and that's super smart of you. And again, it's something that I'm also very surprised that you develop or have at such a young age, uh, because even the learning process is very difficult to sort of nail down. Uh, it took me years to understand that instead of just, and, and this is ironic coming from somebody that has a podcast specifically for that purpose, for people to sort of learn a little bit more about how it actually works from a business perspective. But the reality is that it, it is, as you said, it's all about reverse engineering and just problem solving as you go. Like mm-hmm. reading books can give you a lot of influence, but at the end of the day, it's just adapting your behavior to the problems that continuously come your way, which at the end of the day is, is that learning process instead of just trying mm-hmm. to predict the problems that you're going to have at this particular point in time when you're not there, there already, you know? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Was that also something that you developed or was it something you had from the very beginning? Definitely something I developed. Um, Mm. Like I said, I do film directing as well. So that's like a huge practice in problem solving. Uh Like you're on a set, even pre-production, post-production, all of that, you're just problem solving the whole day, the whole time. So that definitely helped me out in just problem solving with anything. 
Mm -hmm. And how come, and this is just something that I find interesting, how come as a movie director, you still find it hard to trust people? (laughs) I mean, that's, it's kind of different because with that, I'm hiring professionals that literally know more than myself Mm -hmm. um, on those sets. So, I mean, it's a bit easier to trust. And I, like, as a director, I have my right-hand man, the DP, and the DP will see through it. Like, the DP is always right. So, yeah, it's just easier. I I don't really have that with my company. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. That makes sense. And uh, how how does the business work at this point? Because, man, there's so many things going on. I'm trying to wrap my head around how you manage all of those things without going insane. But uh, how how do how does the business look at this time? Like, what is it? What is the biggest thing? Uh, how do you, how does it all sort of mix together? The the biggest thing is always the collection. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would say I spend maybe like twenty to thirty percent of my time designing, and then the rest is just working on making everything work. So I mostly will finish a collection way ahead of time, maybe a year or two in advance. Wow. Um, after, after that's already finished and like solidified, this is the collection I'm able to take on projects such as like a music video or an event, a concert, something like that. And I'm able to just work on those for that, those two weeks. And then at nights I'm able to work at the collect on the collection. Mm-hmm. Um, contacting whoever I need to contact about getting those things made. And um, I don't, it, it gives me a lot of time to be able to juggle things because I'm able to like bounce from mediums, like throughout that one year process, obviously in my notes or all of that, I have a ton of new sketches for the next stuff. So mm-hmm. it's, um, it's not as, it's not as hard as it looks, I guess. Mm-hmm. No, and I'm and I'm guessing, and in in a, it's it's also it, it can be very productive from a product perspective for you to be sort of not only in the fashion space, but also keeping your time and your focus on different things for you know either design influence or just building networks around product or or maybe even branding around your own brand by doing different things. You know, mm-hmm. have you found that being the case? Um. Yeah. For sure. Um. I would say like one of our biggest aspects of the brand is like the music side, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, right now the brand really appeals to a lot of musicians. Mm-hmm. So like working on those type of projects just kind of strengthens that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. For branding. And, and what about from a creative perspective? Oh, it's so inspiring just to, uh-huh. to be around that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would consider like part of the brand identity to just be like um, a consumer of pop culture itself. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of our designs are inspired by pop culture, like sports, music, film, mm-hmm. um, fashion, everything. Like that's a huge part of my identity. And I try to incorporate that into the brand. Okay. And how does the, how does your creative, your creative process sort of work? Because I mean, I doing a collection one year in advance is pretty impressive, especially because you're more in the sort of street where 
for yeah. now more in that direction than anything else. And now, I mean, that space just changes so quickly. Like what you think is cool today in six months is something you're like, oh, wow, I can't believe I thought this was cool six months ago, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I really just make a lot of designs. I guess I have like a million sketches. And then from there, I just pick my strongest pieces. And um, I, I like try to write out the collections that way it's cohesive mm -hmm. um yeah it's really just that it's like kind of narrowing down my favorite pieces or what makes sense for now what should i save for later mm -hmm. stuff like that like i want to say the last collection the most popular product it was the finder sweater mm -hmm. that was designed in 2018 and didn't release until 2021. Mm -hmm. wow so just to make sure that understanding all of the, the sort of variables that are going on right now, at the beginning, it was you product, then it was mm -hmm. you product and the specific event that turned out to be incredible marketing and branding, right? Then mm -hmm. it was you doing everything from product distribution, whatever, to now you're doing product and design, and then sort of using uh, still no marketing strategy, right? Just mostly fitting mm -hmm. off everything that you're doing with the other ventures. Yeah, I would say so. I, I also really enjoy creating campaigns. I just, I don't know how to push them. I'm right. Yeah, you're a good creator, not a good, not a good advertiser per se. Mm. But again, the work, the work speaks for itself. Uh, because I think, I think, and again, people have this, mis, this, mis, this uh, misconception that again, I don't, I'm not a marker. I'm not a salesperson, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to product and I mean, you're doing it, you are the perfect example. You're still only doing the design and your marketing strategy, which is working great because you're consistently growing. So you are doing marketing, just not aware of it, uh, is maybe doing all those video things, which then helps mm. your branding, which then helps your create better products, which long-term makes you stand out more and have this, this sort of effect that you've been having all, all these years, you know? Mm. But those are the variables that are happening, right? Pretty much. Yeah. There's no no advertising, no PR team, nothing like that at the back end. Um, there's there's definitely PR, um, not a lot of it, but mm. uh, I do have people who I use for PR. Okay, what like an agency? No, just just independent, um, project to project, not on every project, mm -hmm. but yeah. Okay, cool. And what do you think? What what sort of how do you measure your goals? Like what sort of, do you, are you a goals guy? Like, do you have, Oh, this year I want to do this. And this is going to be like a tangible measurement of my progress. Or are you just, uh, Hey man, I just focus on product and making that better. And that's the only thing that really worries me. I, I definitely have goals. Um, I also I have short-term goals. I have long-term goals, but I, I more so kind of don't, like I focus on my goals, but at the same time, I, I let things play out the way they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. um, and by doing, I do that by focusing on the product. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, obviously I do have goals for the brand and for myself, but like first and foremost is always the art, like whatever I'm creating. Yeah. The quality of the work. Yeah. And what do you think, or what's, what's coming? What's the next stage? What's the next step for advisory? What's, what's next for you? Um, I'm working on my first in-person runway show for mm -hmm. the next collection. Um, 
So yeah, that, that's like the main, <laughs> a new learning experience. Right yeah. 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 <laughs> Not the thing that's going to go crazy and you're going to have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> yes. Literally. Literally. Yeah, yeah. I have taken almost no, I mean, I'm still working on the collection, but I have not taken many steps towards doing the actual event other than finishing up the collection right now, but I really want to show in September. So where, where are you planning on showing it? New York. Awesome. Awesome, man. That is super inspiring. And I actually was doing, uh, I found this before the, uh, the podcast episode. Uh, let me see if I can, I can pull it up on my cell phone real quick. Uh, I found your share grid, uh, profile from oh. July, 2017. And I, I want to share this because I think it's going to show people like how progress actually works. And, mm -hmm. you know, from, from one year to the next, if you focus on the right things, which is usually creating something that people like, and that's cool and that's unique progress will happen, but it literally says, uh, hello, <laughs> it says Keith. Hello, I own advisory clothing and I make films and lookbooks and casual photography with cameras. You can see those on my site under archive. I'll go on here because I can't afford to buy a super nice video camera right now. So I need to borrow them. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Very, very 17 year old me. Yeah. Sounds like. <laughs> wow, dude. Well, let me just before we, we conclude this whole thing, uh, I, I do want to say that I, I truly find it very, very inspiring. Hell, I mean, again, I think that the biggest differences between somebody like you, uh, who is how old are you now? 20, 21? 21, yeah. Again, somebody like me that's almost 28 is that maybe, you know, people think that the thing that qualifies somebody to be an entrepreneur or a fashion designer or somebody that does their own thing is how much they know, like how many, like if they understand business, if they understand sales, if they understand all these different things, but it's more about how is your character at this particular moment in time, right? Cause you can maybe argue that somebody like me, because I'm eight years older than you, that maybe I know more things about things in general, but you cannot argue that your character, that my character is the same as yours. You know, because mm. at the end of the day, it's the character that one has that defines how successful they become in whatever venture that they're going in. And you are the perfect example of that. And I'm sure that most of my audience, dude, most of my audience are probably going to be around your age, you know, but they're going to be starting mm. out. So having somebody like you to really show that it is possible and that it doesn't take you, you don't have to be Leonardo da Vinci to be able to do it. You just need to enjoy what you like, you know, enjoy right. what you like and enjoy what you do. Uh, awesome, Keith. Well, I'm going to ask you one last question. And I guess I, I asked this in almost all my episodes. It's a sort of hard question, but obviously you have the time that you need in order to think about it and answer it. And that would be, uh, what would be the biggest piece of advice? Let's say you're starting out to whatever point you want to go back in time, but what would be the biggest piece of advice you'd give yourself and why? Oh, myself, uh, myself at what stage? Whatever. Just try to think of whatever moment in time you needed that advice the most. Um, totally the first thing that comes to mind. I remember when I was first creating clothes, I was more so kind of doing like, like what you were talking about with streetwear. I was more so doing what the market was into. And this is like 2013 era. So it's kind of embarrassing when it's like black and gold and like animal prints. And <laughs> yeah. yeah triangles and all of that stuff so 
the best advice I would give that Keith is to make what you like rather than trying to fit an aesthetic or anything like that. Just make what you want to wear. That's awesome. And, and yeah, and I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, people tend to think about it short term and yeah, mm -hmm. like what's, what's trendy right now? Well, let me go and do that. But at the end of the day, it's, you have to look for like long-term positioning and long-term goals. And the only thing they, the only way to do that is by thinking about it that way. Yeah, for sure. Awesome, Keith. Well, I really appreciate having you on. Uh, I'm very sure a lot of my audience is going to be very appreciative of this, this episode. I find it extremely fascinating to talk to somebody like you. Uh, and I'm very excited to see where advisor is going next. And hopefully we can do some somewhere back in the future in, in this podcast, just to sort of see what other lessons you've learned and what current state of chaos you find yourself in one year from now. Yes, for sure. Awesome, Keith. Well, thanks for being here, my man. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was awesome. If you want to learn even more about how you can start your own fashion brand, Make sure you follow me on YouTube at Esteban Julian. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Future of Fashion Business. Make sure you subscribe to listen to our future episodes.